Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, we have a wonderful guest tonight, and it's very timely. Kelly Shackelford is an amazing attorney. I had the privilege to meet him years ago. I've done some American Renewal Project events all around the country, and I'd have the chance to hear him speak and the insights and the wisdom. And he's argued before the U.S. Supreme Court and won. Uh, he defends religious liberty. He's an amazing, amazing attorney, and he's got some great insight. He's a constitutional attorney. So he's going to give us some insights on really what we're facing with the election, uh, kind of some of the chances President Trump may have, some of the stronger areas, what's transpired today with the Electoral College. Uh, and then, of course, joining me, the Glinkster, David Glinky. Uh, but before we get to Kelly, I just real quick, a couple of things I wanted to share with you. There was, I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I'll just read it to you. Uh, but they, they did an assessment uh, of the mental health uh, of Americans in every category, and the only category that improved from 2019 to 2020 were for people who had weekly church attendance. Every other category, yeah. everywhere else across the country, down. But if you were weekly attending church, um, you you have the strongest mental health in the country. So congratulations on that. Um, this is an interesting one, and Kelly will talk on it, Kelly Shackelford. Uh, this, this person said on their, their tweet today, today media will deploy a massive psychological operation on the public. They'll say that Joe Biden wins the Electoral College. Uh, this will not be true. Why? Several states will have opposing slates that argue they should be credentialed. This, uh, this discrepancy must be solved by January 6th. Mm -hmm. That'd be a good one to ask Kelly. Yeah. Get yeah. some insight on. Also, this other one, 68% uh, error rate in votes in Michigan after the forensic report. Maybe Kelly knows something about that, and we can ask him. Um, so, oh, and this is an interesting one. Um, let's see. Uh, chances of death in the United States. Heart disease, 16.7%, uh, and then cancer is 14%. Car accident, 1%. Drowning, uh, one tenth of one percent. Uh, fire or smoke, uh, seven tenths of one percent. Choking on food, four tenths of one percent. Sunstroke is one tenth of one percent. And dying from a COVID infection is uh, one tenth of one percent. And that's for folks under 50. Uh, so it. it and that's with all the numbers going yeah, that's, into Yeah, that's with all the numbers. Yeah, there's no influenza. There's no pneumonia. That's just yeah. all COVID. Yeah. We, I don't want to get into that tonight. We'll do yeah. that. We're, we're going to be with Peggy Hall tomorrow night yeah. live, 6 o'clock, not 7, 6. We're going to have a live audience in the sanctuary. Uh, business leaders, business owners, come out, learn about your constitutional rights. Come out and participate. Get the... Uh, the, the material necessary, knowledge is power, mm -hmm. and, and know really what your rights are. So Peggy Hall will be with us tomorrow night, a live audience in the sanctuary, 6 o'clock. And then the following then we have the Wednesday, we have the constitutional class yeah. uh, with Rick Green. So two live audiences, and you're all welcome to come out. And that's it for the announcements, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So I, I'm not going to wait any longer. Kelly Shackelford is nothing short of amazing. So, folks, please welcome my good friend Kelly Shackelford coming all the way from the East Coast. You were with the vice president tonight, weren't you? I was. I was. He actually, uh, it was a Christmas party. Not surprising, I bet, to you. Uh, he uh, had a little statement before the whole audience, and about half of it was reading scripture. Remember yeah. the purpose. <laughs> you know, the, the, the only, t I, I had the privilege to meet him on two occasions. The first was when I visited the White House. And uh, I didn't get a chance to meet the president that time, but uh, Sean Spicer, I said, well, I miss the president. He went up to the private chambers, but I wanted to meet the vice president. He said he hadn't been here all day. And then we went down <clears throat> to the Navy mess, um, and then we're down where the Secret Service was, and all of a sudden the vice pres presidential entourage comes through, and Sean says, hey, it's your lucky day. And he says, let's go way out, wait out by the limousines. And we did, and he introduced himself, real pleasant, real engaging, and uh, he said, good pastor, will you pray for us? I said, I'd love to. And he says, let me get my brother. And so he brings his brother over and pray for him. Just sweet man, just down to earth. Yeah. Yeah, so, he's the real deal. And, he is. You know, not, not playing a game. He loves the Lord, believes in the Lord, and lives his life that way. You know, you remember he was belittled uh, early in the yeah. campaign because he kind of had the Billy Graham rule. Uh, right. 
and uh, you know that was before all the Me Too thing exploded, and uh, all of a sudden it was a good thing. But uh, yeah, he's he got a life. Yeah, he was ahead of the curve. Yeah. Kelly, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to hear some of the stuff I was reading before we we brought you on. Uh, we were talking about how one tweet came out speaking that the Electoral College stating that Biden has won. Um, but there's discrepancy with the seating of the Electoral College. You as a constitutional attorney, can you walk uh, our, our viewers through the process? What is January 6th? What happened today? Where are we with some of the cases? Um, I think you were saying earlier, Georgia is probably a little stronger in some respects. Uh, the the stuff that happened with Texas and doing that. That take us through it all. Sure. <clears throat> the, uh, the 14th is the day that uh, Congress. Uh, this is not in the Constitution. That Congress laid out uh, for when the electoral votes are cast in the states. Um, as you mentioned today, in the states that are uh, sort of uh, under um, under somewhat of a contest, places like Pennsylvania and Michigan and Georgia, and that, those places they actually had an alternative slate of electors. So, you know, there were Trump electors and there were Biden electors, and like in Georgia, they both went and voted. Uh, so that, and the reason for that is, uh, if there is a contest, if something happens between now. And when these votes go into the House, then there'll be Trump elector electoral votes that were cast. So it just kind of preserves <clears throat> its ability to challenge. Um, and what happens is on January the 6th, the House and the Senate meet together jointly. And the vice president actually is the one who uh, leads those proceedings. He opens the envelopes from each of the states as to who their electoral votes were. And uh, so, for instance, in Georgia, he would get an envelope from Georgia and it would say the Georgia electoral votes. I know it's 10 or whatever it is, but the 10 votes are for Biden. That's what it would say. Um, And but then if somebody wishes to, there's a procedure. If one senator and one House member object in writing, uh, then it goes into a contest. And what that means is the House and the Senate split and they vote on whether to have a contest. In other words, whether to change what's going on. And so, you know, so basically what that means is the electoral votes have been cast today. There are alternative slates of electoral votes in case something happens. That means that between now and January 6th, the Trump campaign is going to try to prove in court or somewhere uh, that there's a reason uh, for the contest and uh, to get the election change. And that's, that's all possible, but it's obviously not the likelihood. Um, what just ha- what has happened is there's been lawsuits filed in different states. Uh, we just had uh, a decision in Wisconsin. Uh, people can probably look that up on their Google today. It was four to three. Um, it was four to three because one of the conservatives flipped ship and went with the uh, more liberal ju- ju- justices on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. Well, you say, well, what did they rule? Mainly what they ruled is, uh, it's called latches. Basically, it's, oh, I'm sorry, you waited too long, so we're not going to decide your case. <laughs> you know, that's kind of the, uh, I don't know, the, the, the place for people who are cowards and don't want to issue decisions. Um, yeah. And so the dissent called them out and said, look, this is really important. The idea that you're not going to address this uh, is ridiculous and is harming our country. That was Wisconsin. Again, I, I think the strongest case I've seen filed was in Georgia. Um, and with that Cleta? case with Cleta Mitchell. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's been around a long time, election law. She's probably one of the top people in the country. And she did her work right. You know, she, she documented everything. And these were things that were not theories, not things that are hard to prove. They were things that you really couldn't dispute. And so, uh, for instance, I mean, it was like if you, if you look at the lawsuit, people can probably, again, Google that online. But uh, there's like 15 things right at the front. Uh, for instance, number one, you know, 66,300 and something votes were cast by people who are not of the legal age to vote. Right. Now, that, that's, that's the kind of stuff that you're like, OK, wait a second. This is not like a, an iffy thing. You can determine in every state who voted. You can't determine how they voted, 
But, you know, right. if you vote, it shows that you voted. And so if you've got people voting and they're not of the legal age to vote, that's kind of a pretty clear illegal vote. Now, that's, it's you know, 66,000 and there's only 22,000 uh, votes difference between Trump and Biden. I mean, that alone. But there were others like 22,000 or 27,000 people uh, illegally cast votes in Georgia who had already voted in other states. And right. they're just list, and they've got the list. They've got the evidence. They've got everything. And, and, and it's, but it was it, the the interesting direction with Cletus is, is that she pointed out that this they didn't deal with fraud or anything along those lines. <clears throat> the right. legislature said this has to happen, and it didn't. And these are the areas where it didn't. That's right. And and that's the way it's supposed to work in the constitution. <clears throat> the constitution gives. The power to each state legislature, not to the state, it's very specific, to the state legislature to determine how to do their elections, um, what the procedures, the, what, how, you know, what the mode and operation of their election is. And those have to be followed. And what happened in a lot of these states, and this is the problem with the election, um, you know, there's two different kinds of fraud, right? There's the fraud that's like... Uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody's dead and they voted, right? Right. Uh, that's one kind of fraud. And there were, by the way, there's numbers of those. Uh, you know, there's like 2,000 something of those votes in Nevada, I think. Um, but in addition to that, there are um, there are what you would call irregularities. I think it's also, it's, it's illegal votes. And that is when you allow votes that don't follow what the state legislature said. Because mm-hmm. that's what our Constitution says. So, for instance, uh, take Georgia. Georgia had all the, they have an absentee ballots. The way absentee ballots work is you send in a form and you say, I need an absentee ballot. And you say, why? You know, you got to meet the state definition. You sign it. Then they send the absentee ballot to you. And, and see, there's a lot of sort of, you avoid a lot of fraud with these prices. You don't just send them out and you don't, you know, but somebody signs it. And then when they sign their ballot and send it back in, they sign that they compare the two signatures. This is required by Georgia law as most places to see if the person who asked for it is the person who voted. And, you know, that's a way to keep, you know, a lot of voter. Well, the secretary of state entered into an agreement in a lawsuit with Stacey Abrams that they wouldn't look at the signatures verification. Well, you can't do that. That's you. you They're not the legislature. That's exactly right. And there were, you know, a lot, hundreds of thousands of votes that, you know, and and I think the statistics I saw, I think it was Georgia, typically, you know, like 10, 15 percent of the votes get thrown out because of the signatures not matching and not being done and all this. This year it was not 10 percent or 15. It was 0.026 percent. Yeah. So this is a huge difference. And it was a violation of following the law. The problem, just like the Wisconsin case with Cletus cases, you know, this stuff happens. You've got to get your evidence together. It took, you know, two or three weeks to get all the evidence together to file the case. And then as soon as she files the case, guess what the judge says? You waited too, too long. late. Yeah. Yeah. And so so they went with an emergency appeal, I think on Friday, a Thursday or Friday, to the Georgia Supreme Court, and the Georgia Supreme Court rejected it. So this is the problem. Every everybody's kind of playing past the ball. And will it go uh, will it get to the Supreme Court or is it over? That, no, <clears throat> they they can go from the Georgia uh, court to the Supreme Court. Because if you think of what happened in Florida years ago with Bush v. Gore, what happened is the the uh, state Supreme Court refused to follow the state legislature and kind of did something on their own. The Supreme Court had to step in and say, no, the state right. legislature controls this. So you can go. And that that's the thing, um, Rob. This is how it's supposed to be done. What happened with Texas filing a lawsuit? That's not how it's supposed to be done. The, the court, if people don't understand this, it was a nine zero decision on that. What? It's kind of like Texas is bringing a lawsuit saying we don't like the election that went on in Georgia. Well, you know, the court responded, you don't have jurisdiction to come in here or standing and say you don't like what's going on in some other state. If the campaign wants to complain about Georgia, they can file a lawsuit in Georgia. 
That's exactly right. how it worked right. in Bush v. Gore. And that's what they're trying to do now. They're just not having a lot of success so far. But if success occurs anywhere between now and January 6th, and that's, you know, something is proven and it shows the public will be aware of that. You could have, you know, a, a people contesting. It takes one senator and one House member in writing, but they can contest if something comes up to show those electoral votes that they're going to open are wrong because now there's they, something they, on it. The, the, the senator and the Congress member can contest not necessarily from, they don't have to be from their own state? No. <clears throat> okay. It takes and then one what senator, a, one House member. What about um, what about the um, the Texas case where Justice Alito did write something along with uh, Justice Thomas? Yes, uh, oh, here. and they kind of they kind of sh- you know the, led them a little bit to show them what they should have done. Is that a fair enough assessment? I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. I mean, here here's what happened in Texas. They brought a lawsuit from Texas saying. We don't like what's going on in these other states, and we feel like it's disenfranchising our voters, and therefore we uh, want yeah. to take. However, this what they were doing is, again, the normal process is you file in the states, you go up, and you go to the Supreme Court if necessary. The Supreme Court has discretion as to whether it takes those cases. Um, okay. If four justices say yes, then they take the case. It just takes four. Um, that's the normal approach. There is one and and there's an exception to this normal approach which is in the constitution itself which normally the constitution doesn't it just says there's a supreme court it doesn't even say how many it, it but it gives original and and exclusive jurisdiction over cases that are filed by one state against another those don't go to the lower courts they go directly into the supreme court so that's what Texas is trying to do is sort of yeah. jump yeah. over everything and go right in the Supreme Court. The court has sort of come up with a method because they don't like this, because typically the trial uh, court is the one who tries the facts and you have juries and you put on witnesses and you do. The Supreme Court is really not equipped to do that. The Supreme Court typically hears cases when all that's been done and you're arguing about some legal matter about what the law really is. And so when these cases come in like this, they, they don't like it. So they've actually developed a procedure that, that they, they do where they think they can reject where their cases come between one state and another. What Alito and Thomas are saying is, while they didn't agree in, in this case that there was a standing, they don't think that the court has the authority to just reject cases uh, from one state against the other. So they're, they're being more true to the Constitution on that. But yet, despite saying that, they do think that the case did land in the court. Yeah. They said, yeah. like the other seven, you got a nine to zero that said there's no standing. Texas cannot complain about the lawsuit, in, I mean, about the election in a different state. If the campaign doesn't like that, they bring a lawsuit in that state. We're not going to, you can imagine what this would mean for the court if they allowed this. Any right. state can always sue because it doesn't like an election process in any other state. It was Mom, sort Dad, of Susie, Susie hit me, and all the yeah. kids are arguing. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. it wasn't surprising that they wouldn't take that. Um, it's, it's. I, I think it's a shame that something's not being <clears throat> taken so far because uh, you know this is important on a lot of levels. Number one, uh, there's some incredible irregularities and violations that went on because of what happened with uh, all these mail-in ballots. Uh, number two. You know, even if the court were to say Biden won the election, um, for a court to come in and look at things is very important to the American people. Half yeah. the country is going to see this as illegitimate. So I, I think what's going on is a real disservice to the American people. I don't think it's good for our country. And uh, and I think these thing, a number of these things do need to be looked at. But unfortunately, uh, judges are human beings. And just like we, we seem to have a lack of courage uh, in the church and in other places, we have a lack of courage in judges who want to avoid yeah. doing their duty. And boy, I, I think a great, if people want to look at something and see a nice discussion, look at the dissent in the Wisconsin Supreme Court denial today uh, by the chief justice. I mean, he doesn't hold back any any statements about how this is a, a really an abdication of their responsibility and it's a, it's a horrible thing for the country. So it, it's we cowardice. still got time. 
it is. We've still got time. We're just going to have to see if somebody can prove something and get it out there between now and January 6th. If so, then you could have something go into the Congress uh, that would end up being in contest. You're, you're thinking Georgia, Cletus, uh, is probably one of the stronger? It, it's the strongest that I've seen factually. Um, there are other cases that certainly you know, have had good information and good arguments. I just uh, I, I haven't seen any as well done as the one in Georgia. Um, sure. And so yeah. so I feel like that. And I kind of feel like, you know, the way I always look at this is it's kind of like everybody looks at Goliath as being invincible <laughs> until somebody hits him in the head with a stone. And then all of a sudden, everybody realizes he's not invincible and they start looking. And yeah. that's kind of what we need. Is we need somebody to nail something and prove it. And then people can start to look at things and maybe judges will do what they should do. And that is, you know, I know it's not enough time as normally judges like a lot of time. They need to be able to look at things. That's the downside to this. But we need to look at these things that can be looked at for the sake of the American people. You, I, I you, was I was yeah. wondering, has there been like, there's all this evidence out there. Everybody's seeing all the evidence, but there actually hasn't been a court that's actually looked at the evidence yet. All of it's been kicking the can down the road, but nobody's actually looked at any of the evidence yet in any of these cases. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem. We haven't gotten anybody to deal with the fact. Everybody's trying to run. And uh, and that's just, you know, I mean, for instance, one of the most obvious ones to me is what happened in Pennsylvania. Um, just like we said earlier, the state legislature controls how the elections are done. Yet in Pennsylvania, you had a Democrat secretary of state say, oh, it's OK. You can send in your mail in ballots. And even if they come in on Friday, three days after the election, we're still going to count them. Well, the law said they had to be in by eight o'clock on Election Day. That's what right. the legislature said. And it went to the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court Democrat said, yep, you can do it. We're going to count those all the way to Friday. Well, you can't do that. The state Supreme Court is not the state legislature. So all right. the votes in Pennsylvania that came in after 8 o'clock on Tuesday night of Election Day through that Friday, they're all invalid. Now, <clears throat> now Justice Alito ordered that they keep those separate because I think if, if it was actually going to change the election, I think – Justice Alito was preparing the court to say you can't do that and to declare those uh, illegal votes and change the election. But that's an example of the type of thing I think they should go ahead and do because we need this for our future elections for people to know yeah. that yeah. this is the way the process works. You can't just change things. Yeah. There was a, one of the things I had read earlier before you came on was a Michigan forensic report. 68% uh, reported errors where federal guidelines allow for 0.0008% allowable error rate. Uh, vote flip occurrence because of machine error built into the voting software uh, designed to create error. 81% of ballots were reversed in Central Lake Township. All security uh, logs prior to 11 p.m. November 4th were deleted uh, you know, I, how do you prove it? Are, are the are, in each of these areas—Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin—we know Cleta and Georgia. I don't know who's run it in Arizona or Nevada. Uh, is it is the lack of ability to get it in front of the courts, the judges? Of course, they're just kicking the can down the road. But who's other than Cleta? Who else is putting up a strong case? You know that can prove the evidence. We do have affidavits. Mm -hmm. Have you seen anything like that that has impressed you? No, I don't think Cleta has anything on the... Uh, she doesn't have it. She went a different direction. Yes, I'm talking exactly. about, yeah. The other people, yeah, the problem is getting that in court because <clears throat> I've, I, you know, I know what you're referencing is the fact that they did finally get uh, the ability to, uh, to analyze um, in Michigan the voting machines. And there were a lot of problems, as you're reporting, that one side is saying now the other side is going to dispute that and in court you would need to really go through you need to have a trial on that type of thing and get to the bottom of what the real facts are and who's lying um yeah but again you'd have to have uh the legal proceeding that one of the problems is this is such a difficult thing you know 
if you have people who really are uh, engaging in fraud and, and manipulation and violations of the law, it's so hard in an election contest because you have such a compressed amount of time to yeah, prove Yeah, short the, runway. Yeah, and so, so that's going to be one. Now, the thing, and again, we're back to the same problem. If, if those, you know, these legislatures, the Pennsylvania legislature, Republican controlled, the Georgia legislature, Republican controlled, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, maybe even. Anyway, I think yeah, five they of the are. six states. Yeah. So they're in control. I mean, if they wanted to, I mean, this is debatable, but I think it's probably most people, most ex- uh, constitutional experts would say this is true. If they wanted to, they could say we're throwing all our electoral votes out. We're casting our electoral votes for this. They, the le- state legislature is the one with the ultimate authority. So at the very least, they could make sure that these type of things don't happen. But I don't even know if they're going to do that. You know, I, I don't even know if they have because because a lot of times what you'll have is let's say you have Republican control. That doesn't mean you have conservative control. That right. means you have Republican control. And then you've got to have Republican control of conservatives who are actually courageous enough to do the right thing through criticism. Um, I I wish we were the type of country which we used to be where this would be bipartisan uh, because it really is in the interest of everyone that we make sure that nobody on either side would doubt whether elections are invalid or whether we've turned into some banana republic. Um, And uh, there's a reason why very few other countries use machines in their voting. It's just it's open to manipulation. It's open yep. to challenge and questioning, and um, and and you can't check things uh, afterwards as easy like you can with paper ballot only. So it's uh, you know it's something we really have to address. And of course, depending upon what happens in the election, and depending upon what happens with these U.S. Senate seats, let's say the Democrats <clears throat> were have the presidency and the Senate and the House. And the I House, mean, the first yeah. thing list. Last time was H.R. 1, which was to change all the election laws to make this kind of stuff happen forever. So it's it's really dangerous, you know, what we're on the precipice of possibly doing. If you don't have confidence in your elections, you don't have a Democratic Republican. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. I know folks are glued to your insights in relation to the election because it's on everybody's mind, everybody's heart. They're all concerned about it. And we do know that Georgia is in play, and we've got the the, the two Senate Senate races, um, and, and you know it, it's not going to be at least I hope so that it's not going to be as uh, I don't know shady because they're not going to have the mail in like they did in the presidential election. Is that correct? Not quite. Unfortunately, um, one of the things that the Secretary of State in Georgia did. Oh, that, that's a real yeah. gem. That, yeah. Okay. What did we get? He put a, when people asked for a ballot, when people got a ballot last time, he, he had a little check where they could check that in any future election, just automatically send them a ballot. Isn't that and, sweet? And that is not in the state law. It's nowhere in the state law. But so guess what? Ballots are flinging back out across Georgia to everybody who got one last time. But, but uh, right, it, now, right now is when you should be suing in relation to that, not wait for the election to pummel you. They should have their lawyers lined up. They should be doing this right now and I not agree. be caught flat-footed. That's what the president should have done early on. He knew this was going to happen, and it's... Uh, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. We've never I, been. There I think before. the one story I saw is that they're putting a lot more foot soldiers, four thousand poll observers, to go in there and hopefully make sure that some of the things don't happen. The w- right. quick question on that Pennsylvania case: Is that going to get appealed up to the Supreme Court that they broke the rules of the legislate? Every everything that's uh, that is my understanding. Everything out of Pennsylvania has already uh, been appealed up, and and the last one to the Supreme Court was rejected. Uh, the same same week, I think that Texas filed their uh, special case. Yeah. All right, Kelly. Let's let's shift gears and talk about religious liberty because uh, if all these things <clears throat> transpire in the negative for the folks that have been wanting to protect the election process. 
Uh, we, we all feel gypped. We're watching Georgia. You know, they're going to pour their heart, soul, strength, and mind into into Georgia, and they're going to pull some shenanigan. Um, we're we're going to start. Uh, we're going to see a fundamental change in America, especially a nation that has enjoyed religious liberty for 244 years. Uh, you being a constitutional attorney, we just basically bypass that. That that Constitution, it's a living document. You get to make it be whatever you want it to be, and <clears throat> you're going to be contending at a court, uh, you know, at, at the highest levels on behalf of guys and folks like us that, you know, we're we're trying to keep the church open. We're we're in a pandemic where we have a one one hundredth of one percent death rate in our county, but they have obliterated our churches, our businesses. Uh, they've shuttered our holidays, uh, our our religious, you know, celebration, our Holy Week, our sacraments. It's endless what they've done, and this thing. And, and I'm going to get pushback, but there's there's no you know the influenza's down, pneumonia's down, and we're talking about 300,000 deaths across the nation. Um, but we're watching it all pushed into one category, you know, with influenza and COVID, with pneumonia and COVID. And, and a lot of people are looking at this going, this does not merit what they've done. And nowhere in the Constitution does it say we lose our First Amendment because of a pandemic. Yeah, there, I tell you, it's gotten uh, the, there's a lot of good news on this front. Um, and I would start with the fact, I don't know if you saw, there was an editorial, I think it was Friday of last week in the Wall Street Journal called No More Mr. Bishop Nice Guy. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty strong editorial where it says the church better wake up or it's not going to exist. Right. Um, you know, that, that people are leaving and they're not coming back. Yep. And uh, it's, a, it's a really good and that's the Wall Street Journal. That's not a very religious uh, publication. So so I think there is a turning that's occurring. And then the other thing I would say that's good about this is um, we I've been fighting in religious freedom for 31 years and I don't we don't have time to go through it all now. But there's a there's two major religion clauses. Both of them have had a really bad precedent. And because of the judges we have been getting on the courts, we're now uh, I think by this end of this week we will be in the 230s. Uh, which is huge, a huge number of judges uh, confirmed for life on the court. It's over one out of every four in just four years. And, and then again, lifetime. So that's huge. It's changing everything and including the Supreme Court. So both of the precedents I just mentioned that I thought I probably wouldn't be able to get rid of in my lifetime, we're both they're both in the process of being imploded. Religious freedom is opening up protection-wise in ways I've never seen in my lifetime. We're making advances I've never seen. I think we're just at the beginning of this. Um, yeah. And because of people like Amy Coney Barrett on the court and, and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, who's really strong on religious freedom. I, mean, we're, I think we're going to do well here and, and you know we're going to need them. Uh, but I'm telling you, I see a lot of positive things on that side long-term. I think short-term... We're in a massive war over religious freedom. By the way, I'm saying all this assuming they don't pack the court. If they right, were to pack right. the court, they would destroy the Supreme Court and it would no longer be a, a, an independent uh, a legal body. It would be just an adjunct to Congress and whoever's in control of Congress will decide whether you have rights. I mean, it would be a disaster for our country. But I'm assuming that's not going to happen. And, and I, I think the odds are heavy. It won't. I'm hoping. I'm praying. Uh, if so... I really think we're long term, we're in good shape. It's just short term. We've got some real battles, including the battle you're in. I mean, literally, we're in a battle right now over whether the government will control our churches. And right. uh, and I, I we plan to win that battle. And uh, that recent victory in the, the case out of Brooklyn uh, was very important. It was the first kind of finally we get a win. But that's still not even a merits decision. That's just a motion. We've got to get a really good case to the Supreme Court, and we got to nail this. Uh, and I feel like we've got the justices to do so. We've just got to get uh, the right case there and, and have more people do what you're doing, which is stand up for the church and stop, uh, stop letting the church be shuttered because uh, the government will take that power if we give it to them. Yeah. yeah. Wait, there, 
Kelly, we you before we start, you went through all the cases in Nevada, San Jose, across the country. Can you explain the mechanics of how if one of the cases get up to the Supreme Court, they rule in the favor of the church, does it drift back down to all these other cases across the country? How does the mechanics work? Yeah, if, uh, the way things work is first you file lawsuits. Typically, it's federal court. Uh, you're, let's say, a federal district court. You say you violated my federal constitutional rights. Um, win or lose, you appeal to the federal court of appeals. And then from there, you go to the U.S. Supreme Court. The other option is if you're somehow in state court, you can go all the way to the state Supreme Court and then directly from there to the U.S. Supreme Court. But how it works is essentially you file these lawsuits and, and you know, you try to get a decision. And when you get a decision, again, you appeal. And then, again, the Supreme Court gets about 9,000 requests a year to take cases, and they take 80. So Jeez. you've got a less than 1% chance, and it's discretionary. And there's only it only takes four justices. But, you know, what's going to happen is, you know, like say on the church cases, they're going to watch. And if they see it, you know, if they'd like to see some analysis in different circuits that are coming, you know, where the cases are coming up, where they can see some different arguments and understand the different, you know, what each side is arguing. And then yeah. they would, you know, they'd like to pick the case that is the best vehicle to do what they think needs to be done. And uh, and so I think typically they will pick, uh, you know, a church case where, you know, you've got pretty egregious facts. I mean, I, th I think we're going to win this. So if they do, I think our good guys are going to wait. And if they have a, a, a number of church cases coming up, they're going to pick one that most American people look at and go, that is wrong. Now, they'll also do the right legal thing, but they also, you know, why pick one that, you know, is tougher to point out what needs to be pointed out when you can pick out one with better facts, like the one that was just out of Brooklyn, where, you know, you can only have 10 people in your church, but yet yeah. thousand secular entities are open for people to come in and out all day. Well, that's the kind of stuff. And, and this Brooklyn uh, diocese was a model of their procedures in New York of all they were doing to protect yeah. people. So that's the kind yeah. of case. The facts are really good. But again, what you've seen so far, none of these have been cases. They've been emergency motions. So mm. that happened out of, out of uh, Cal I'm trying to remember the name of the case in California. I've forgotten it real quickly. But the one was that, that was with Calvary, Calvary Chapel. No, in it, Nevada? Was, uh, it was before that. It was. Um, Ah, I can't remember the name of the church. I think it was out of the San Diego area or somewhere. But oh, anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, like South a, Bay. You, South yeah, Bay. South Bay, South Bay, yeah. and, and and that one went up first. It was an emergency motion. It was rejected. If you'll remember, it's because Roberts went with the liberals. Right. Um, then you had the same thing happen in the Nevada case where you have casinos are okay, but churches are not. You know. And, yeah. uh, and, and and that's where you started to get some real pushback by Gorsuch and others saying, this is outrageous, you know, what's going on here. But again, motion. Then uh, the, the Bronx case or the Brooklyn case, um, that one went the other way because now you don't have Ginsburg there. You have Amy Coney Barrett there. And right. so it doesn't matter what Roberts does. And in fact, you had a pretty strong concurring opinion written by Gorsuch kind of going after Roberts for yep. not doing the right thing and Roberts kind of being upset and coming back. So, but again, all those are motions. They're not supposed to have any precedential value for cases because they just, they come up quickly, they make a decision. And so it's not the normal process where all the briefs are coming in. Uh, you know, they get to see everything. There's an oral argument with all nine justices and they get to really spend months writing the opinion and going back and forth. That's what we're waiting for because that's a precedent that will then immediately apply all down the line across the country to all the other, uh, all the other churches and all the other government officials who think they can shutter the church. Now, limited for time, I know it's late where you are, but I, I want to ask you, of all the cases you're familiar with, which one excites you the most uh, that, if you had to guess, that will make it to that level uh, and it has the strongest merits uh, that, that you, you feel real positive about? Um, I don't, I mean, we might not have seen it yet. Um, okay. it, it, might, 
it might pop up now. Um, you know, it could be it could be the Nevada case. Uh, I haven't looked in depth at the at the record on that, but I mean, again, the idea that you can have hundreds of people in the casino where there's all you know, it's not exactly known as the healthiest place, right? And so yeah, the yeah. idea that you can be in the casino where there's no there's no constitutional right to be in a casino, but yet you can't be in a church with a hundred people when there is a fundamental constitutional right to be in the church, the freedom of, of speech, the freedom of religion, the um, the freedom of assembly. I mean, we've got all kinds of freedom of association. Uh, I yeah, but you know, that I, doesn't that doesn't I, Kelly that doesn't apply during a <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're yes, so stupid. <laughs> no, you're just, you don't get it. It's a, it's a living document. It, it's whatever we want it to be. Well, you know, the other thing that happened Sorry, to I'm us. I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. The thing that happened to us is that churches have been forced to go to live stream because we're yeah. not supposed to meet inside. But now we're on our second live stream that's gotten pulled by YouTube. They censor us. So we don't, we don't have freedom of religion or freedom of speech. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, we've got a case right now that I think is very important. It's up on an emergency motion. Um, it's called the Danville Christian Academy case. Yeah. This is a case where in, in Kentucky, the, the same week that Anthony Fauci said, close the bars, open the schools, the governor of Kentucky decided he would close the schools, including all the religious schools. And meanwhile, Bevins is a Bevins is a real treasure, isn't he? <laughs> That's yeah. another sarcastic one, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that sarcasm. Bashir, 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 yeah, Bashir, yeah, Bashir. Sorry. Yeah. He he. Uh, meanwhile, the strip clubs are open, the gambling parlors are open, the racetracks are open, the Kentucky basketball game. There's three thousand people there. I mean, everything else is open, but the schools are closed. Well, you know you. All these other things, they're not constitutional right. You know, the right of a of a parent to put their child in a Christian school and to get a religious education, that's a fundamental right. You don't get much yep. more fundamental than that. And and so what we're saying is you better come forward with some proof. Not only do you not have proof, the proof goes against you. The CDC is saying the safest place for a child is in a school. Uh, not only is the evidence not there, but you're discriminating against them. You're treating them differently than you are all these other entities. So we won a federal injunction. What I love, you'll love this. Uh, the attorney general of the state of um, Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, joined us on behalf of all the Christian schools across the state suing his love own it. government. Love and it. we won a statewide injunction opening all those schools and so they did an emergency appeal to the Sixth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals. We got three judges that weren't good, and they stayed the injunction. And so we had an emergency appeal to Kavanaugh. We're, we're hopeful that we'll get a good decision. Kavanaugh will have to go to the other justices, get what they would do, and then come back. And if he's got at least five votes, then we will open the Christian schools. And the great thing about that is the signal it will send all over the country that really will, I think, buttress the ability of Christian schools to not be closed because yeah. it's yeah. not only wrong constitutionally, it's killing kids. I mean, they're yep. committing suicide at, at, at alarming rates, 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 7-year-old kids. It's outrageous, and there's no reason for it. So I would encourage your, your listeners, if they would pray, pray for this case. Kavanaugh could be handing this down uh, any day now, and I think it's an important case for uh, religious freedom in the schools. It's called yeah. the Danville Danville it, Christian Academy. Danville mm. Christian Academy. So, folks, be praying for that. Uh, and it, it, I, I got to tell you, I, I would hate to be uh, in a courtroom opposing you. You open up a can of Kelly, you can't get the lid on. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly like you keep the lid on your can, Rob. Yeah, well, thanks a lot, <laughs> uh, Kelly. I. I your wife is far more optimistic than you are because you're just a, a legal mind. You look at the facts. You kind of just process it that way. Uh, you married somebody with a personality and joyful and loves the Lord and has faith. Not that you don't, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And she believes she believes Trump's going to remain in office. You're looking at it saying legally that is an enormous uphill climb. Is that because yeah. and, and you're not saying you're not saying because he doesn't have legal precedence because 
there's no courage out there. Yeah, she. Uh, my wife has zero doubt that Trump's going to be president. Uh, this, you know, January twentieth, he will be inaugurated. Um, I obviously, I'm looking at it and I'm going, boy, you know, I'm I'm praying with you. Uh, I love what he's done for religious freedom. He's no president has done what he did for religious freedom. I've been doing this for 31 years. Nobody has done Nobody. what he did. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of things I could detail, including the ju- the judges are alone. Uh, but there's and, a lot and and, and for the unborn. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, as a religious liberty guy, I'm like, you know, I, I've, I've never seen anything like this. So I would love for that to happen. I'm praying for that. But I'm looking at it. I've got to be ready for what's going to come if those prayers aren't answered. And so right. it will be an onslaught of, of new lawsuits. Um, I mean, Joe Biden has already said that he will go back after the little sisters of the poor and under Obamacare. All the religious groups will now be, I mean, at, when the Trump administration came in, there were 100 lawsuits going with religious organizations that were under the attack from Obamacare. That's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, it, it, we're, we're going to have to be ready for a real fight. The good news is we filled the courts with really good judges, Young, yeah. the youngest yeah. ever, the, the brightest ever, uh, solid, many of them strong believers. So we, we at least have better judges to go to uh to actually follow the constitution but you know i'm praying for uh my wife to be right and uh for us to have more years of good religious freedom and another yeah. four years of good judges but uh that's in the lord's hands do you the, when i look across just our state and pastors have different opinions different interpretation if you were speaking to the pastors across the country what would you be telling them going forward what what would you say to them if you could speak to all of them at one time um you know to be honest this might sound a little simple but i would encourage them to read this new book uh, by rod dreyer called live not by lies um it's uh, he, he interviews people from the soviet union from poland from uh, the Czech Republic who were there when totalitarianism came in and took over. And many of these people are in the United States and they're, they're scared to death because of the, what they're seeing, they say, is, is dramatically similar. And, uh, and what the book does, though, is it talks about what is the response, what, what wins over this. And it's kind of shocking how you defeat this is by being a stronger Christian. It's the church and the family that overturn communism and totalitarianism yep and so john paul ii in poland i mean you just got to stand you do and that and that's what the church the church needs to understand that this is not like a a political battle between candidate a and candidate b and they're on the sidelines these this ideology will have to destroy the church it's part in order for it to exist the the biggest enemy to this type of government control is the church and the family that's why yeah. if you looked at BLM's stuff that was online, the first thing they're going to do is get rid of the nuclear yeah. family. Nuclear yeah. family. Yeah. The, and this book helps you understand why, because it talks about real people in these countries and what they did. And the way you survive, I mean, you might be tortured, you might lose your position, you might, you know, you might pay a cost. Uh, but it, the only way is you can't live by lies. You can't go along with a false dichotomy, with a false propaganda that the government is telling you to speak. You have to speak the truth. You have to live by the truth. You have to teach your kids the truth. You have to be in small groups with others and you have to stay strong. And the church needs to understand it's got to get off the sidelines and stand for the truth. It's not a matter of thinking it can somehow, you know, be a part of the culture without speaking truth in a way that some people aren't going to like. So I, I would just encourage them to be the church which doesn't mean, you know, here's here's we had a book study on this with a bunch of friends that we had over 200 people on Facebook the first night. And the summary was it's kind of a basic scripture, but it was speak truth and love. We don't want to spread people, push people away from the gospel or from Christ because we're not loving. But the church has lost fact, uh, lost understanding of the fact that they think if they speak the truth and people run that they've done something wrong. No, yeah. do it in love, but you you got to speak the truth. Them silence in the face of evil is sin, and yep. uh, and it's time to speak up, speak the truth lovingly, but to speak the truth. Bonhoeffer wasn't an attorney; 
He was a minister. Yeah. yeah. He was. Yeah. He was. Kelly, I, he, he, had, I, he has one of my favorite quotes, which was, uh, a Christian doesn't just take someone who's been crushed under the wheels of injustice and bind their wounds. A Christian sticks a spoke in the wheels. Yep. That's right. Uh, and yeah. that's, Stop it. That's, you know, We've got to be a part of stopping evil and standing for what is right. And uh, it's a unique time. I don't think a lot of people understand it. I appreciate you and how you're standing for the truth. And I just wish, um, I hope more and more people in the church will rise up. We don't want to be like the churches and the ministers under Hitler, under these Stalinist countries that kind of went along with the government. Uh, God forbid, you know, we need to stand for Christ, uh, whatever the cost. Kelly, I know it's late where you are, and I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to share with you that the the book you referred us to when David asked you that question, it was a great question, and thank you for that insight so folks will get equipped. We, we, uh, we have a member of our congregation. He's in his 80s. His name is Joseph Bondarenko, and uh, he was a minister in the Ukraine, and he spent 23 hours a day in solitary confinement he, could have, he graduated from what would be the equivalent of the United States Naval Academy, but that was in the Ukraine. And he refused to renounce Christ. And he, mm. he refused to, you know, stop preaching. So they arrested him. He lost everything and gained everything. And they said his family wouldn't live. He would never see the light of day. And on that Sunday, and, and folks, if, if you're just tuning in now, go into the archives Look for Joseph Bondarenko and some of the videos. At the end of that video, you'll see his entire family, his kids, his son-in-laws, his daughter-in-laws, his grandkids, great-grandkids, and they're all singing in harmony. Uh, they're flourishing. They're doing great. And he, he warned us that day and every church in America, you, I'm, wake up because he's seen this before. And so your admonition and exhortation to us is, is timely and critical, and we're, we're grateful for it, Kelly. And I know how busy you are, but thank you for what you do. And I'll leave you with this last thought. Uh, you were looking for good cases, and I told you I'd be a terrible client because <laughs> I, I, I just don't obey. Because <laughs> liberty's not man's idea, it's God's idea. You practice a law that is established by theology, God gave us the law, and as theologians, we stand upon it. You guys muddle through it and try to rightly establish it, but I don't have a choice, Kelly. If he said it, I do it. That says it. He, he's, he's my judge. Now, you guys sort out all the details, <laughs> and where that places me and where it puts me and whatever I lose, when my head hits that pillow, I'm good. And to the judges out there, you, you've been given honor. We defer to you. Not so that you can be spineless and kick the can down the road, but so that you can justly rule in the cases that ultimately you'll stand before the judge of eternity and you'll have to give an accounting for your decisions because you were given great honor in this lifetime. Don't screw it up in the next. That's my word. Hey, you good with that? Uh, I, I am. I am. And I, I'll tell people because that we didn't mention it. If people want to get info on any of the cases or any of our stuff, our website, you just spell it out, firstliberty.org. It has, uh, it'll have cases that'll blow you away. The blind woman uh, that we represented who was banned from the park for two years right. for sharing the gospel. Uh, I mean, just stuff that is just unbelievable. It, it's a witness to all of us that there are yeah. people, even in our country, standing for their faith. And they're going through some difficult times, but God is God is so so great, and uh, and God so if bless. Folks, if folks need, uh, if they want to support you, say it again. The website, firstliberty.org, and I would encourage them go down about a third of a page and do sign up for the Insider, and every week they'll get a deal on what the case is and what's going on around the country. It, mm -hmm. it is awesome, and you, yeah, you do mm -hmm. great work, Kelly. Thank you. You you're, you bless me more than you know. Are Thank you going to be on California? Are you going to be out in California anytime soon? Uh, I know that I'm speaking out there, I think, in January or February. Uh, so I will definitely be out there by February. Will you stay the weekend and speak for us in our pulpit? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. All right. That's a deal. I just <laughs> I have somebody send me emails so I can get it on my calendar. 
Uh, I'll do that. I'll, I'll put it on. Right. I'll, I'll send it out to you. Yeah. All right. All right. We're gonna Thank we're gonna bless we're gonna bless you real quick. We're gonna bring it up on the screen. You'll be able to hear us. But this is for you, Kelly. This is out of number six, and we've been doing this for almost 250 episodes. But I want to read this to you, Kelly. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make His face to shine upon you, and may He be gracious unto you, and may the Lord lift up His countenance upon you, Kelly, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Bless you, friend. I'll see you down hey, the thanks. road. All right. Bless you. See you, man. Bye. Good Incredible. Dude. And Incredible. Southern gentleman, too. I mean, yeah. he's got such a neat way about him. And yeah. brilliant. And argued before the U.S. Supreme Court. And won. And continues to labor on behalf of religious liberty. Uh, such a treasure. And such a, just a decent man. His yeah. wife is precious, too. Yeah. It's yeah. a family. Yeah. He's a good husband, good dad. Yeah. Let's. Rec- I, I think she's a, probably a really good wife and a really good mom. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Kelly's yeah. Kelly's precious. Yeah. Hey, I, was, I just wanted to verify things, and I'm sorry. We're so blessed to have Micah here, always yeah. running, that I can send him a text to verify things. But tomorrow night we're doing Peggy at seven o'clock. Seven. We're My doing bad. Peggy at seven o'clock. Show up early because we're going to start recording at seven. But please be in the sanctuary a little bit earlier. The thing that you were referring to is Wednesday, the constitutional law. We're starting that. Here it is. Uh, Mike was able to pull it up. We're starting that at 6 o'clock. And look at the guests that we have. And this is going to be used later across the nation. Across the country, yeah. And we need that live audience in place starting at 6 p.m. So show up a little bit earlier for that because we want to have everybody in place to support this panel to have it filmed. So that's the one on Wednesday. We're starting at six. Yeah. Tomorrow, seven, Wednesday, six. Okay. Um, and both are live audiences. The yes. live audience starts at seven. The, the live stream starts at seven tomorrow night, but come early. Cause you're going to want to get seated and all that right. because we don't want you making noise while we're doing the live stream. Yeah. If yeah. you're going to be a live audience, that's fine, but don't be a distractingly live audience. Yeah. <laughs> We will take questions like we did last yeah, time. We'll that field was questions. great. And, yeah. and with Peggy, she is just a powerhouse. So yeah. she'll she'll be there to answer them for you. And I think that's about it. Yep. We look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow night. That's always so much fun to do them live. So yeah. that'll be fun. Thursday, uh, I'm flying out with you. Yep. And we're going to uh, Florida to be a part of the Turning Point USA Student Action Summit. Uh, the the winter gala out there, and then we're gathering a bunch of pastors from across the country. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you more about that later. But um, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Micah Stevens <laughs> is preaching. He's going to hit the ball so far out of the park, it's going to keep sailing. And it, and if you don't believe me, that's just because you don't know what I know, and you will soon know what I know. I love when you do that. You get Micah smiling. It's so hard to get that guy smiling. He's like a but he's just, he's like, he just smiles, so it's just no, great. He, he, he is a, he's a great preacher, and someday he is going to be the preacher. So, uh, listen, it's your job to develop him. So if you're a member of the congregation, come out, encourage him. Um, it, it, one of the things that frustrates him, I'm just going to tell you point blank, people call and say, who's preaching this Sunday? Uh, the Lord is. So what, what else do you want to know? Uh, if it's not me or Rick or Micah, what, is he going to change your mind? We're the only church open for the most part. You, what do you want to do, live stream? Go pull yeah. up uh, J. Vernon McGee from 100 years ago. He, you can still get a videotape of him. He's been dead a few years. But <laughs> really, I mean, this is a fellowship. We encourage one another. Come out for that. And i got to tell you, Micah is an outstanding preacher. You're going to be blessed by it. We could have brought people in from all over the country. I want Micah. Rick wanted Micah. We're thrilled about this. So... And, you know, Mike has been watching 249 episodes. (laughs) The knowledge that he's gained in the last four months is going to be incredible to have him share it with you. As a servant, he doesn't talk a lot, but when he does, because of his observations, they're so insightful that I I take copious notes and I'm blown away by them. So, yeah. yeah. All right. uh, So I'll be back uh, the 22nd, but we will be doing live streams from Florida. And there's going to be a slew of interesting guests. And I don't know who they are yet. But I'm going to pull them out of the audience and bring them in. I mean, really, it's the who's who from across the country. I mean, we're going to have Congress members there. We're going to have senators there. Mm-hmm. We're going to have, you know, Chuck, uh, Tucker Carlson's going to be there. Mm-hmm. There's going to be folks, and I'm going to grab everyone I can find and get them on these live streams. You'll get so, Donald Trump Jr. If, if yeah, I'll, I'll get anyone that uh, comes yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, 
I, I got a lasso. Yeah, I got a taser. I'm, I'm all set. I, I, I got duct tape. I'll, I'll get some we got Good. It'll be good. <laughs> all right. That's it. We've been rambling. God bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow night.